listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Vietti. Good morning. How y'all doing? Y'all survived the holiday. You're back. You hit a lot of Easter eggs and ate a lot of good stuff. And everybody went to Hart Park. Oh my goodness, I drove through there on Sunday crazy. Absolutely nuts. Well, today I've got a lot to give you. I hope you are ready. Either have a photostat memory or, or take notes. We're going back to the Bible study. Got a lot to say in a very short time. So let's just pray this right here, Father God. As I prayed with my wife backstage before I came out here, even though I'd done this for almost 50 years, I still have no confidence in the flesh. I've asked you to anoint the words that come out of my mouth and empower me and guide and lead us through this study in Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen. Amen. We're back to the word. We're, We're slowly working our way through Peter. I went forward two or three weeks ago to get to a place that I thought I needed to get to. I was going to go back and fill in, but I'm just going to pick up from there. And so, uh, Let's just dive right in. But before we do, let me give you a little introduction to our text today. Timothy Keller said something several years ago, and you've heard me repeat it many times because it really made a deep impression on me. And that is, our expectations determine our peace. And he used that illustration about a taxi cab driver in New York delivers a speaker to their conference late. And they said, what happened? He said, the taxi cab driver was in a, a fender bender, a little wreck. And the, the guy who was telling the story replied, said, I'll bet he cussed that taxi cab driver out. He was probably so mad, wasn't he? And he said, no, he didn't say anything because you live in New York. You expect that. So see, your peace directly affects your, your expectations, or I should say vice versa. Your expectations equal your peace. Now, here's the deal I want to bring into our study in this introduction. A lot of people have the wrong expectations out of salvation. And as a result, they don't have peace. Now, we need to have high expectations. As you know, that's one of the themes of my life. But in in some ways, we have wrong expectations because we don't know how it works. See, some people think that when they get saved, that it's God's will that everything's going to start working in their life. He saved us in order to make everything work. Our spouse is going to come home. Our finances are automatically going to get better. Our cancer is going to disappear. Our court cases are going to all be resolved because that's the way they see God. We have God now in our life, and life is supposed to be working. God becomes our genie in a bottle. You know, boom, everything's going to start working out now. And then when life doesn't, our life in Christ doesn't, start doing those things, then we don't have peace. Some people go back into the world. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work because they had the wrong expectations. I read a story this week about a lady. She said her husband had been acting strange for several months. 
And one night she had a dream. In the dream, her husband and her were on a trip across the United States, and she got out of her seat next to her husband to go use the restroom. And when she came back down the aisle, some other lady was sitting in her seat. And she said, it really bothered me. I couldn't find a seat, and I started crying. Why is she sitting in my seat? And finally, she said, in my dream, I went back and found one seat available on the plane. And when I looked down, there was a Bible laying in the seat with a decal on it advertising a very vibrant church in my community. And she said, I woke up and immediately knew what the dream meant. My husband has found another woman in his life. And I know that's what it meant. And I'm supposed to go to this church that I saw on the decal. And I'm supposed to get involved there and draw closer to Christ. I know that. And he'll get me through this difficult time that's coming. She said, I just knew it when I woke up. That's what happens very often when you're walking with God. You just know things. So she said the next few weeks she wasn't surprised when her husband was in his bedroom packing his bags up and said, I hate to tell you, but I found another woman in my life. And she said he was really surprised at her casual response. She said, I knew. God already told me. And she went according to the dream, to that church in her community, got involved, got into a small group, started serving, started going down the rescue mission, doing all this stuff. She said, God totally started working my life out. She said, that was 22 years ago, and I've now been happily remarried for 20 years. But do you see how God had to work through all that? He didn't automatically make it go away. See, God wants to save you in order to change you. And as others see the change in your life, they're going to be drawn to Christ. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. God doesn't want to take your problems away. He wants to show his power, grace, and mercy, and love in the midst of those so the world will see it. If you never had a problem, Andre Crouch said, you would never know that God could solve them, and you wouldn't know what great power in him could do. And so you have to see this thing right. Uh, he might not ever bring your strange spouse back. He might not ever do that when you get saved. But he might give you joy and peace that's so far above what that marriage supplied that you're able to live with it. And you're able to get past it. Uh, he might draw you deeper in fellowship with him. God might not ever heal you from the cancer, disease, or the mess you're in. But he'll give you power to live through it. And everyone will be amazed at how you're going through this. They'll be amazed at your joy. They'll be amazed at your God stories as God leads you through it one step at a time. And you can still love it, live an abundant life with the disease, with it, as long as God doesn't see fit to take it away. And praise God, I can get through this. See, it'll keep you at the altar. Last week, I mentioned how that Caleb, uh, near the end of his life, he was kind of an older guy. He said, God, give me Hebron. You promised to give me that as my inheritance. Because Hebron's where the giants live, and it keeps me at the altar. It is my opinion that in some cases, God doesn't want to get rid of your problem because your problem keeps you at the altar. And he knows if he takes your problem and solves it, you will get away from the altar. So God says, let's just let it stay for a while. Remember when I had leukemia in the 90s and was told I was going to die, that Belinda Matley had that vision she gave me. And said, I saw you out in the lake in a boat with no oars, and I wanted to swim out and help you, but God said, no, that's right where I want him. 
And I believe for some reason, God wants to keep me at that place. It keeps me at the altar. It keeps me praying. It keeps me seeking God. Now, our whole purpose in being on this earth is to show people the power and love of God. And they need to see it in real life. They don't need to see someone that never has a problem or acts like they don't ever have a problem. They want to see people that live life just like they do, but God makes a huge difference. They need to see that. Look at 1 Peter 4.12. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He goes on to say it's all part of the curriculum. Look at that same verse in the Message Bible. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. That, that's, that's why 150 people last week got out of their seats and walked back to the altar to receive Jesus as their Savior. Uh, and see, what we wanted to do is we wanted to take them back there so we could talk to them and say, here's what you should expect. Behold, new things are coming, old things are going to pass away. We want to show them that receiving the Holy Spirit is what it's all about. Now He's going to start working to change you, not change circumstances, change you. You have that? Doesn't want to change the circumstances, He wants to change you. Once you start being changed, maybe the circumstances will change. But He wants to change you. Maybe you're waiting on God and God's waiting on you. Now let's go to our text in Peter today. I'm going to read through it. I will not get all the way through it. I'll have to come back next week, but let's read our text. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 5. I hope I gave that to the back room. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I might have been in such a rush today, and I might have had uh, a little bit too much caffeine this morning. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. Have we got that, gang? Uh-oh, something's wrong. Okay, here we are. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because, say with me, because. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominatories. Yeah, that was a crazy word. I think it was two words there, abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess or dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, I'm going to break this passage down into two or three key points and discuss each briefly. And here's the first PowerPoint I want to deal with you on today. Put out some effort to deal with ongoing sin in our lives. Put out some effort. Gang, our flesh enjoys sin. Have you found that out yet? The Bible says that there's temporary pleasure in sin. Now, let's give a working definition of sin. There are several definitions, but one of the definitions I like to work with is missing the mark, amartia. It means missing the mark. Anything that 
wouldn't be God's will for our life is called sin. Anything that will harm our walk with God is called sin. That can be anything from pornography to jelly donuts. It could be anything. Uh, Right now, again, I am having to work through two cancers, not one, but two. And God is guiding and leading me through these two cancers. Uh, For example, he's guiding me in such a way that he's talking to me a lot about what I'm believing to happen, about my faith. And that's why a few weeks ago I talked about that book, Biology of Belief. God says what you believe has a lot to do with your DNA. It has a lot to do with your healing. And he's talking to me a lot about my faith, my faith. Let it be to you, Ron, according to your faith. Build your faith up. Then he's talking to me a lot about my diet. And he's leading, guiding me through stress and rest. Those are the four things. Belief, diet, stress, and rest. Diet. Right now, you won't believe how many mushrooms I'm eating every day. I'm drinking bacon soda every day. I'm basically on mostly a vegetarian diet, in and out burger every once in a while, Taco Bell every once in a while. God has guided me with no sugar because sugar kills your whole uh, immune system for like two or three hours after you eat it. And I'm telling you, he's telling me big time, no sugar, no sugar. No. So he's guiding me through my diet. And I believe that's bringing me to a healing Um, he's talking to me lately, he's been telling me over and over, rest, 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 rhythm, rest, rhythm, rest. Again, I go back, I was telling somebody the other day that tremendous miracle, how that about three years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm running all over speaking. I'm, I'm going to Vegas, coming in at three in the morning, sleeping for six hours, getting up, running over here. Next week, the same thing, going somewhere, getting in at two in the morning, and how again, that God told me. I mean, I was laying in bed, and I'll rehearse this story for you. I never get tired of telling them because I must remember them. But I was laying in bed one morning, and I was over at the beach, and I'd gotten in about two or three in the morning, and God started speaking to me as plain as I'm speaking to you today. And he said, you have to stop this lifestyle. If you don't, you're going to die. And he said it over and over again, and I started debating with God, arguing a little bit. Do you ever do that? I said, God, what if I just change this? He said, I'm telling you, you're going to die if you keep this up. And no joke, I, I told this story before. I had listened to God for about an hour laying in my bed, like 5.30 to 6.30. And I said, God, I don't want to die. He said, then listen to me. And as I swung my leg to get out of the bed, a message comes across my phone, and it's the sister in the body that's, that has my number, And again, I wrote down the very words. It says, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Why die before your time? And I went, wow, wow, wow. Now, I want to make a point with that because it's very, very important. Uh, 25 years ago, I could do that. Today, I can't. Now, listen to me. Sometimes, what wasn't a sin for you 25 years ago will become a sin for you today, and vice versa. We worked the porn convention for 10 years, and we'll have more salvations because of that than any outreach we've ever done. 
But 35 years ago or 40, that would have been a sin for me to go in that place. But it isn't as I'm older. Do you understand that? In, in some respects, some things that weren't sin yesterday will become sin today. It's missing the mark. And some things that, that were sin back then will not become sin today. That's something. Some things are black and white. But there's some other things that that will work through. Now, back to this idea, God says, okay, not only are you to change your diet, but he's working with me through this. See, th- this is very often the way God leads you down a journey of healing. He also said, uh, rest and, and no stress. And so I'm trying to get all stress out of my life, and I'm trying to stop hanging around anyone who causes stress. I'm trying to choose my relationships rightly. Now, I have a firm thought, and I was going to talk to you about it today. One of the reasons we come to church is to be around other believers. And I did this. I thought, you know what? I know there's got to be some kind of science behind absorbing energy from one another in fellowship. And sure enough, I went on the, on the internet. I, I Googled it. And there's an article that I read this week entitled, Science Confirms That We Absorb Energy from One Another. It says, quote, our bodies are like sponges able to absorb the energy around us. This is the same thing Masura Emoto did with his water experiments, remember? He exposed glasses of water to various words, pictures, and music. Then he freezes the water and examines the frozen crystals under a microscope and has found out that the words and the energy that's coming into us affects our body. And our body's 60 to 70% water. It's just simply astounding. I love it when science starts confirming stuff that we've been taught for ages in our, in our Bible. And that is that we can absorb strength from one another. Today, they say you affect about six people around you. You call it your aura. You can call it whatever name you want. But I believe it's the Spirit of God. For example, today, we're emitting energy to those around us. Uh, power goes through us. Uh, look at this verse in Luke 8:46. We've read it before. Jesus insisted, someone touch me because I felt the power discharging from me. And we do. When we pray for one another, like today, if we had time, I won't do it now, but we could shake hands right now, take a greeting time, hug each other, pat one another, and I believe you're actually transferring Holy Spirit energy. I believe that's a possibility. Now, now, I'm going to give someone a rhema here right now. You're going through cancer or disease because of what I just said. And God told me to do this. He told me this the first month I was sick. He said, I want you to put headphones on, listen to praise music an hour or two a day, hour or two a day. That music's going to begin to minister to your DNA. It's going to begin to minister to you at the, at the cellular level. Now, back to the point. Sin is anything that you're missing the mark in. Uh, sin can be things like uh, griping and grumbling. That's missing the mark. A bad diet can be sin. Um, staying in a bad relationship, if you're not married, that, that can be a sin. Stressing out all the time and not bringing things to God in prayer can be a sin. Here's the problem in the church today. Sometimes we relegate sin to just bad stuff like pornography and adultery and cussing and all of that. This is one reason why we always, we're always contending with self-righteous people in the church. Um, see, I don't cuss, drink, uh, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do, so I'm right on. Not necessarily. That can be self-righteousness. 
See, sin is so much more than that. Uh, a truly mature Christian is always going to be in the need of a Savior. Always. Now, go back and visualize that idea again. That one of the definitions of sin is missing the mark. So, visualize it this way. Once you give your life to God and you're a new Christian, there's a bell of hay about 25 yards away and you have a bow and arrow. Try to hit the target. Try to hit the bullseye. Now, as you grow in Christ, he keeps scooting the bell of hay back. 50 yards, 75, 100, 200, to where you're always going to have to be straining. The whole idea is, is that the more we mature in Christ, the more the Lord expects out of us. He doesn't expect you doing the same things you did them. Look at 1 Timothy 1.15. It says, this is Paul talking, the apostle Paul. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of all of them. He didn't say I was. He said, I am the worst of all of them. That's why at VBF, we have so many new people come in, 150 new ones last week. We have to be patient with them because they sin different than we do. We're mature. Their sins are not our sins. Our sins are not theirs. I told you uh, a few weeks ago, and I'll repeat it. Uh, one day I'm up here preaching, and somebody got excited and yelled out, preach that S-H-I, you know, they preach it. That's what they said, preach that blank. And we all went, did I just hear that? Now, in most traditional churches, they would lose their joy right there. They'd be destroyed. But that person wasn't trying to be cute. They just didn't know any better. They didn't know any, they came in off the street. They got excited and just came out of their mouth. Another time I told you, I was saying, as Christians, we wouldn't do that. And somebody stood up and said, hell no. And again, I was somewhere some time ago. And it was some kind of celebration. I can't remember what they were celebrating. But they, 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 they poured champagne into the glasses. And I thought, man, I don't drink liquor. You know, what do I do? What do I do? And then I felt bad because they said, okay, right now, we're just going to praise Jesus Christ because he made this event possible. Let's, let's, let's toast Jesus Christ, clink, clink, and they drank. And so I grabbed it real quick, and yeah, I got to drink for that. <laughs> and then another one said, well, you know what? I forgot, man. Last week I told you that event led up to this. Here, fill them again. So we're going to toast Jesus for his faithfulness. Yes, clink, clink. I thought if they keep doing this, I'm going to start proposing things, man, because I'm kind of getting into this, you know. Uh, in my world, you don't know how many times I've dealt with people like this. Uh, it happened in Colorado, but it happened again the other day. I was praying with someone, and they said, Pastor Ron, right now, I need Jesus. And they said, right now, Lord God, I come to you, and I thank you for saving me from this blankety-blank-blank. You know, that blankety-blank life isn't good anymore. I got a blankety-blank, and I go, whoa, you know. <laughs> Do I think God heard that prayer? Yes, he heard that prayer. <laughs> he probably heard that prayer more than he does a lot of self-righteous people's prayer. They meant it. They didn't know. They were used to, to, to talking that way. So, we all sin in different ways. Say with me, I need a Savior. I do. I need grace. Uh, a question to you mature believers. I don't want you to get self-righteous on me. Number one, do you always pass the guy on the street corner with a sign and don't even pray about it? I, I don't very often. I, I'm not pointing at you. And say, God, would you want me to give to this guy? Do you ever just reach out and say a prayer for the guy as you're sitting at the stoplight? Come on, guys. Let's get in this together. Don't make me feel bad. Have you been griping and complaining lately? Huh? Uh, 
How about talking too much, saying the things you shouldn't say? That's a sin like pornography. Do you know that? That's a sin like getting drunk. Uh, you forget to pray for unsaved people. You did their stuff your radar. Uh, you're not even trying to share the good news. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm saying we all need a Savior, right? We do the best we can do, but even when we do the best we can do, we still come up short. That's why I still believe that a church like this should have more radical praise and worship. We ought to be praising God for saving us and giving us grace and giving us favor in spite of ourselves. We ought to really be focused during worship. Today, hundreds and thousands of people are going to be rooting their favorite teams on. And they're going to be yelling and screaming, giving each other high fives, spilling beer on one another. Why? All because their team does something good. I want to tell you, last week we especially celebrated, but Jesus won the game of all games. Jesus procured our salvation. He went to Calvary and paid the price for our sin and then resurrected again. Can you say hallelujah to that? As a result of that, even in my best behavior, sinning, I get grace. It's undeserved favor. I don't deserve it. I'm not better than anybody else. I get grace. As a result of what he did, I don't have to fear death. As a result of what he did, I will see my babies and my loved ones again. I will see them in heaven because of what he did. That's worthy of praise, don't you say? That's worthy of worship. I mean, if they could spill beer all over each other today and yell and make a fool out of themselves, and then they come to church and go, you hypocrites. Hey, we got more to praise God about than you have, you know, just because your team wins the big game. I started to cap. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm changing. Uh, we're going to close with a song today and give you a chance to really praise God. We're going to close with a song saying, give you a chance to show him your appreciation. Back to our first point. We need to put out some effort in dealing with our sin in life. Yeah, we have grace to cover our sin. We do. We're God's kids. We're going to heaven. All our sins are forgiven. We have grace to cover it, but we should still work toward conquering it. It says, Jesus suffered in the flesh. As a result of that, he ceased from sin. Now, let me end with this, and then we'll pick back up at the same place next week, if the Lord be willing. There are three basic ways we deal with sin in our life. Number one, we have to acknowledge it and confess it. What does confession of sin mean? It means, God, I agree that that's wrong. That's not your will for my life. And Lord God, help me get past it. Help me conquer it. But confession of sin... Now, go back to what I said earlier. Maybe some of us need to be confessing today that, God, I confess I don't have a heart for the unsaved like I should. I confess that sin before you. Oh, God, be patient with me until I, until I get this burden. Uh, maybe we need to confess that our, our world is more important than God's, and we just say, God, I, I, my world's more important than yours. I know I'm more concerned about my house, my car, than I am about your kingdom. Look at what uh, King David said in 2 Samuel 7 and 2. He said, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. He said, look. He said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar place, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. I mean, I'm confessing sin all the time. I don't know about you. Every day I'm confessing sin. I can't even tell you the sins I confessed uh, this week. I mean, they were sins that, for some of you, say those aren't even sins in our life, but they're sins in my life. 
Uh, maybe we ought to confess loose lips. Confess the sin of lack of praying like we should. Maybe confess the sin of, of judgmental spirit or confess the sin of jelly donuts. Confess them. Whatever it is, we have to acknowledge it first. Secondly, after you acknowledge it, we must ask God for the strength to conquer it. I can do all things, what? Through Christ. We don't do many things through Christ. We try to do it on our own. But I can do it through Christ. And then thirdly, put something in the place of the sin. I've preached on this for years. The Bible says take off the old and put something new in its place. Um, I believe that consuming too much junk food is a sin. That's missing the mark. Because if you consume too much junk food, it's going to hurt your body. It's going to destroy your body. What you sow, you're going to reap. And you can't be glory to God with a bad body. So I think consuming too much junk food is a sin. Now, I, I, every once in a while, I, like I say, I splurge, and I don't think God's mad at me. Sometimes I just need to eat a donut to show God how much I'm sacrificing for him. I go, I'm sacrificing this for you normally today. Last week, I hadn't eaten anything all morning, and I was so weak that I thought it was God's will to eat a jelly donut back there, and I did, and I was able to get through another service. Uh, but what do I do? Because I know sugar is bad. I know, I know this fast food isn't good for me. What do I do? Just a little common sense God's given me. I carry some, uh, some uh, uh, snacks with me in my car, uh, carry a little bit of, of uh, trail mix, some almonds and stuff, because if you stay full, then you're not so tempted with the junk food out there. See, 15 minutes after you eat, your mind's going to forget what you ate. It just knows it's full. Uh, if you're struggling with pornography and stuff, you've got to put something in its place. Uh, go to the gym at that nighttime when you're tempted to do porn. Go to the gym and work out and, and scream and yell a lot, you know, and just get it all out and, and go run or, or take a sleeping pill if you have to. I don't care what you have to do to help you. You know, when you're trying to fall asleep and look at porn, that's going to be pretty tough. You might fall asleep without on. Your wife's going to see it. Praise God, hallelujah. Now there's going to be an end to it. Uh, so, it's point in the, the point in the study today is put in some effort in dealing with sin. Put in some effort. Jesus suffered through it and ceased to sin. Look at Hebrews 12.2. It says, Hebrews 12.2, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. You have that in the New Living Translation too, or just that one? Yes. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, the second point, and we're going to discuss this next week. I don't have time. But we're going to see in our text next week, we're to be finished with sin because it doesn't satisfy. The text says you had enough time to carry out the desires of the flesh. We should all come to a place. Now, obviously, he's talking to some people who have been saved for a while here. And he says, you've had enough time to get drunk. You've had enough time to do all this stuff. It's time to grow up now. And I might start off next week talking to you about when is enough enough? When is it time to understand that that stuff you're pursuing is not going to satisfy? It's time to be done with it. 
We need to all be like that country dog that I have illustrated before. He's out on the porch in the country where there's no fences, and there's hundreds of acres to run, and where's that dog usually at? He's usually on the front porch. <laughs> That's where he's at. Now, a dog in a fence yard is trying to get out and trying to run all over the place, and it's going crazy, but that country dog is, is there on the porch, and it's kind of like us. We need to be at that place where we're going, <laughs> I've already been out there and done all that. <laughs> already been there. You know what? Doesn't satisfy, so I ain't chasing it anymore. <laughs> you know, we ought to be there. That's a good word picture that you can just put in your mind this morning. Uh, last, if we get time next week, we're going to talk about how we're to stop judging one another because God is the ultimate judge. Can we stop it? Why are we picking at one another? Why are we judging one another? See, our text says that the people around us, when they see we no longer sin with them, we no longer drink with them, we no longer party hardy down with them, says they'll begin to malign us. But what they don't see is that we're all going to stand for the judgment seat of Christ someday. I am so tired of seeing believers start doing what the world's doing. They're judging everybody. I mean, that whole Will Smith debacle, I don't care what you think about it, just let it go. The man apologized, let it go. I'm sick and tired of hearing Hollywood talk. They have nothing better to talk about. Whether he did right or wrong in your eyes, and most people think he did wrong, he said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it, let it go. You know, we judge others because we don't see ourselves rightly. If we saw ourselves rightly, we would stop judging other people. Everybody makes mistakes everybody's going to fall. And as Christians, we should not enter into that crapola as the world does. Let it go. Say good things. I have so much more to say about this, but if the Lord be willing, that's going to come next week. Today, we're going to end in prayer, and then we're going to sing a worship song. And I want you to sing this song with a new emotion today. I want you to sing this song saying, you are worthy of our, you've given me grace, I will never die again, I will see my loved ones again. It was all because of what you did for me, and I should give you praise. If those people can, can get all excited about their team scoring a, a, a home run today or whatever, I should get excited about the big game you won, God. Not just on Easter, but every day of the week and every Sunday of the year. So I got a lot more to say, especially about the judging thing. I got a feeling we're not getting past that one next week. <laughs> There's reasons why we judge one another, and it must stop. It must stop. And I'm going to tell you what to do instead of judging people. I don't like to just take the negative. I want to show you what you should do in place of that. So did you get something today? <laughs> Let me pray this right here, and then we're going to end with a worship song. This worship song is equally important today. So don't go anywhere. Let me pray this right here. Father God, I pray that everyone who listened to my sermon today got something out of it. Lord, the Bible says that we promote Christian growth when we hear rhemas on a regular basis. And we take the rhema we heard this morning, we, we pray about it all week long, we savor it, we 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 we, we, we uh, pray that you'll implement that truth into our lives. As we do that every week, we, we, we begin to grow. And so I know we all heard something today. If you're here today and you've never given your life to God, you can do it on your own. You don't have to go to the back. 
In fact, right now, I'm going to say a prayer with everybody in the building. If you're here and you're not saved, just say this prayer with me and believe in it. Everybody pray and say, Lord God, today I ask you, forgive me for all of my sins. Send the Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit live inside of me and give me the power I need to commit to this journey with Christ. I thank you today that the Holy Spirit lives in me. He's given me the strength I need to follow Jesus. Be real in me, God, and thank you for making me one of your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue next week, but what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to invite you. Some of you like to come forward. I want you to come forward. If you want to say, hey, I want to come near the altar right now, just come on up. Come on up. I invite you. Others, if you want to stay in your seats for whatever reason, you can do that. But let's stand and sing praise to God in this song before we leave today. You're dismissed after the song is over. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Give us our King, give us our love.